And Jeff finally accepts a date from me to an Italian place, and then it doesn't materialize. So sad. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives. On theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, Alan and Bonnie are on assignment, and it is just going to be myself, Rajiv, and Casey, and we are going to be talking about evil. Look out, world. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Uh, and for our segment, we are going to be doing a segment that we did a while ago. I think this is going to be fun. It's going to be called Irenicasting. And uh, we'll explain a little bit more about what that is on the other side of the music and the other side of this conversation. So let's let's just jump into it, right? Evil does not hesitate. Evil does not wait to destroy your life. So we will not wait to <laughs> jump into that. I don't know what I'm doing. We will wait to jump into this conversation. Uh, so l- let's let's just start with the basics, right? So how how do each of you define evil. I mean, we're coming off of Halloween here, so this is kind of, we usually do some sort of Halloween-themed episode or conversation, and we really haven't explored just the general concept of evil. So, uh, so Casey, let's start with you. What What is evil? The fruits of the devil. Well, I actually was going to defer to Rajiv. <laughs> uh, yeah, am I the resident expert here? <laughs> well, Rajiv, I just figured, you know, you're the troublemaker amongst us, so you would you would know more than all of us. I, I do have a definition, actually. Thank God. Profoundly immoral and wicked. I feel like you need to define other definitions within that. Yeah, I mean, the, each each of those words have, have their own baggage. To me, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I looked it up, and, and sometimes I look at a dictionary definition. It doesn't match the cultural definition. And I think that's pretty good, but then... What's profoundly, what's immoral, what's wicked? You know, you have to define that. I'd say all three exist in the the White House right now. But <laughs> let's just get right into that right now. <laughs> Look, this morning, this morning when I was uh, preparing for this and thinking about it, I literally thought to myself, everything we're going to talk about will end up in the White House. Like it'll go back, you know, in some way. It just, it felt weird. It was like a loop, a a cycle in my head as I was trying to think about what my definition for for evil would be. I would agree with you, Rajiv. I mean, the dictionary definition is clear, but we come from traditions that say that all sorts of other things are evil, specifically people, specifically behaviors. And that's where I think it becomes more triggering for me as we talk about evil. Um, Because the places that maybe I have found safety and security, or the people that I have loved or who have loved me, would be the same people that in the places we come from would be identified as evil. Right. Going back to our conversation on process theology, it just reconfirmed for me that I guess my definition of evil is any action done that does not acknowledge our interconnectivity. Or disregards it, maybe acknowledges it. Maybe evil is you acknowledge it, but despite that acknowledgement, you you do it anyway, or you put something out there that severs yourself from connectivity. Which you know, it's it's a pretty wide palette in terms of evil with that definition. But I, I guess I'm at that place. That's an interesting point, Jeff. But I think like an extra special, you know, 
evil is somebody who acknowledges the interconnectivity of all things and uses that interconnectivity for harm. Yeah. Ooh. Right. So not acknowledges it, but then manipulates it on purpose. Oh, yeah. Recognizes it. Because, I mean, you know, you'd have to be a pretty big idiot to not know things are interconnected. I mean, you'd have to be just like deliberate. Like I had teachers that said, you know, you have to try hard to get an F in this class. That, that, that's like, you know, it, it, you know, these people are trying hard to get an F in life to not realize that things are interconnected, you know, to some degree. Would we say that there's uh, three layers of evil? There's the ignorant where you just go out there and you're not aware of how interconnected you are. And then there's the, I don't know, belligerent where you know that, but despite that, you're going to do what you want. And then there's the manipulative where you know it. And because you know that you're going to do that and try to take advantage of that fact. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you you look historically, and one of the ways leaders that have risen to the top that are that are particularly evil, they will take folks, their quote enemies, into the public square and torture and or kill them as a way to have this ripple effect because they know people are connected. There's there's primary and secondary trauma, so I'm going to show people, and it's going to make them shudder. And they're going to know they don't want to mess with me. Yeah. The place that I went with that, with that idea of evil was around racism, sexism, homophobia, and how those all have been used in, in deliberate ways to keep us disconnected, right? For some reason, what really kept popping up for me this morning when we're talking about evil and where that resides, especially in sexism, is the burning of women, of witches. Um, women who stood outside the norm, who spoke up for their rights and were considered witches uh, and were murdered. And it just feels like, I mean, in all of this stuff around racism and homophobia, like if we want to talk about where does real where does real evil reside, it resides in the perpetuation of these systems that continue to oppress people. So so then maybe we're, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if this is what we're doing. We're coming up with a collective definition of evil, but perhaps evil is that idea of disconnectedness and the more power you have in this world to influence, the more evil it is. Power becomes a power, the ripple effect of whatever act you commit, which may be why Jesus said, tie a millstone around your neck if you cause any one of these little assemble, because there's a high price to pay and consider when you're in a place of power and influence. Yeah, that, that's interesting. The scalability, you know, does causing great harm to an individual mean it's less harmful or less evil than causing the same harm in perpetuity to multiple individuals? I don't know that I have an answer for that because some people perpetrate harm that alters a life forever. You know, folks don't recover. And, and that to me is maybe the ultimate form of evil to where folks, you know, they don't recover from that. You know, and then you've got again the primary and the secondary and even tertiary trauma that that gets passed down. And like Casey talked about slavery, sexism, misogyny, those institutions that have plagued us for generations are hard. Well, and I think that those systems are used to keep us separate. If everyone is pushing and fighting for their liberation, as long as they're all separate, then we'll continue to fight each other and not confront the actual issues or systemic issues or people that actually need to be confronted, right? Because we're all fighting for scraps. 
And I think that that's some of what we're seeing in this administration in terms of let's go after immigration, let's go after women's rights, let's go after LGBT issues, um, let's keep everyone spinning, basically forcing them to focus on the things that they need to survive and keeping the drama high so that they cannot rally together. Hmm. I think perhaps where we all are in terms of our progressive Christian context, it always comes back to, and rightfully so, comes back to those that are oppressed, those that are marginalized, those that are victims of some sort of power structure, whether that's an individual power structure within a family or a more corporate one in terms of church, government, all that kind of stuff. And I noticed that when we have these conversations, it's easy to, especially if you are the person who is being the victim of some sort of evil, I guess, as we've defined it thus far, that it creates a stricter binary. It pushes you further away from the other side and it puts us into this place of us versus them more often in the way that we speak and the way that we move. So I guess my question is, is that helpful? So is it helpful to say and label something as evil or someone in terms of moving past that? And what place does a naming have in a movement towards eradicating evil or moving towards good or however, I guess we could define that, but uh, that might be a little off topic. So do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think diagnosis is essential. If we use a, a medical analogy, you know, if you're going to the doctor and you're sick and they start giving you medicines for shit you don't have, uh, that's going to create more problems. So having an accurate and focused diagnosis, in this case, it would be evil, defining and, and identifying evil it allows us to then talk about how to overcome it. I grew up in a tradition that said sometimes you got to name the demon, honey. You know? Yeah. Well, I grew up in a tradition where literally you had to name. That's right. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We we cast out specific spirits. That's right. Like of, was I get that like speaking in tongues? Like a name? Yeah, that, that was in my Pentecostal would, background. Like, like what's what's an example of a name? This is like such foreign territory to me. Like are they are they like English names? Or are they just sort of in that the mumbling? No, the it's not like not names? like personal names. Okay. Like you know, I cast you out, Bob. Right. Of you know, <laughs> uh, a demon of whiteness. You know, whatever. Bob the demon. <laughs> it was more of like concepts, right? So oh, you, you cast okay. out sure. the demon of apathy or whatever. Apathy or corruption or lying or you know the spirit of sex was always something or the the spirit of addiction. You you cast that spirit out. So when we do. Like Jericho walks, you know, Jericho walk where you, you're praying over a certain area and you walk around walk it seven around times it. and that whole That's time right. you, you pray. And then on the last time around you, you praise and you yell out, you're shaking your head like, crazy. what is I wrong with you people? It's <laughs> 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 so what we did. It's what we did. Um, but, but, but yeah, but I mean, before we move on to that, just sorry for. For cutting you up, but the you know naming these demons—that's really I think that's there's some power to that. Now yes. there are certain demons that were named in those contexts, like sexuality, etc. That those aren't demons, right, um, but right. like greed, apathy. I'm like that's a demon, man. I mean, a apathy is I think even a step beyond hate in some ways. Hate at least you still care somewhere. You know, you, you still have some passion about about things. Apathy is just like it's done. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's really important that we are able to name these things and articulate them and be pretty clear about why these things are demons, right? 
because as I said before, there are a lot of places and people that uh, in my prior world were identified as evil, and they were the farthest thing from it. It's really helping people, I think, one of the best things we can do is articulate today what we think suffer or, uh, evil is and what are the real things that we can name as evil. So that's a good question, Casey, is what can we name as evil? So I think the problem for me when we start getting into the idea of labeling is I 100% agree that we do need to name things. We need to call things out. We need to say that this is what this is. Uh, my problem, and despite how certain people that I that I know or that are public figures or heads of certain countries, I can't get myself to a place where and I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this because perhaps I'm just being too naive and and stuck in a, a privileged bubble, but I can't get myself to call a person evil. I'm fine with calling institutions evil. I'm fine with calling actions evil. But when it gets to naming people as evil, I think for me, it's a slippery slope. So does that mean someone who's committed a crime is evil, which we tend to, we tend to use dehumanizing language, evil monster for someone who's murdered someone or stolen or is in prison. And I think that there's some severe implications to allowing ourselves to so easily label a person as evil. Yeah, I, that's a great distinction. And I would say for me, evil is even it's reserved for certain kinds of behaviors. Like you said, I don't I agree. I don't believe any person at their core is evil. I, I, I do think there are some people who have chosen to give themselves over to evil and behave accordingly. I believe also that those same people could decide one day and choose one day to say, you know what, I'm going to give myself over to good and try to change my behavior that's more in accordance with with good. But, you know, stealing in most cases and other kind of lower level crimes are just they're circumstances of poverty and desperation. You know, there's no evil there. That's just it's oftentimes survival. that's just somebody trying to get by like in in Les Mis, Jean Valjean, still in the loaf of bread to feed his his family, his relatives. That's not evil. I mean, you know, he's just trying to make it. Yeah, I would I would agree with you, Rajiv and Jeff. I would be hard pressed to point out any person that I would say is evil to their core. I think that we all have choices and we make those choices, but are we, are we evil? No. I'm often saying to people, God never made junk. <laughs> and I have to mean that for, for everyone. I can, I can confront evil behaviors and um, more specifically evil systems of oppression. Um, that's what I think I'm most drawn to when I think about evil, the ways in which our collective behavior has separated us and divided us and categorized us and dehumanized us, then I am to say that someone is evil. So when we think of the term evil, is, is it a term that's valuable? So I say that in the sense that when I was growing up, my theology was everything is evil, right? You lying to your parents in God's eyes is the same as committing murder. When we talk about evil and we define it as stealing bread, well, maybe that is in the, the notion of interconnectivity. 
our definition of evil that we come to. Well, maybe that is. Who are you stealing that bread from? Did you steal it from someone who then needed that sale to provide for their family? And then are they going to steal? Like, Or were you stealing it from someone who was benefiting from an unfair institution? Then it's easy to say, well, we can let that one slide. So I think when we, we talk about evil or disconnect from recognizing that we're a part of something bigger – by using the term evil, are we doing ourselves a disservice by basically leveling the playing field on what we all came out from, where a sin is a sin in the eyes of God and everything is evil? Can we have a nuanced view on evil by using the term evil? Is it too weighted? Well, I think, yeah, if if you use the, t- the term evil too broadly, then you've got to have a lot of nuance. Uh, for me, there's a couple of characteristics that are necessary for me to consider it evil. It, it, one is calculated and two is unnecessary. So if you calculate and perpetrate an unnecessary harmful act against another human being or living thing or even maybe an inanimate object, that's evil. You know, I would say like vandalism, like hate speech vandalism is evil. It's calculated and unnecessary in every case. Painting swastikas on synagogues, you know, homophobic remarks on a gay person's home or an institution that stands for gay rights. That's evil. Those are calculated and unnecessary acts. And then, you know, you can scale it to murder, stealing money when you've got enough from somebody. The list can go on and on. Right. So there's a nature... I kind of brushed upon this in the beginning of our conversation. So there's an element of intentionality to the degree in which that evil might affect those around us or prop up a system that is already evil. So then what, what does that do with our morality and responsibility, right? Someone who is throwing up and I'm using an example that is outside my purview and an example that I will that I easily and rightfully so probably would call evil, but someone throwing up a swastika on a Jewish synagogue. Did that come from the person or did that come from a system that they were under or a part of, whether that's their family or their church or their community? And then how much, if any, and I feel weird saying that, but again, hypothetical, how much, if any, is that person responsible for that action? then where do we deal with personal responsibility, right? Because this is probably something that we've all at one point in our lives were attached to, especially because it seems to be a mantra of the conservative right is personal responsibility, personal responsibility. Where, where is that in this term of evil? Like, and what does that mean? Like what I'm throwing a lot out there, but what does it mean? Personal responsible to what? To, to God, to some institution, to our family, to the laws, like what? I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're definitely, again, responsible to each other and how we have chosen to behave in the world and the the ideals that we have committed to and respecting people's uh, different religious beliefs, their pursuit of happiness. I mean, all of those things that we have as a nation committed to saying, these are these are our highest ideals. And if you are choosing to threaten anybody's um, aspirations for these or choosing to use your own freedoms to harm others, you are accountable for that. I mean, I I even struggle with the people who stand outside of Planned Parenthoods who are showing, you know, 
this terrible images and horrific, uh, you know, signs that really impact people. It's painful. You know, we have, I guess we have a right to freedom of speech, but when, when you are, when you are deliberately calling someone a child killer or spitting on them, you know, Westboro Baptists, you know, I mean, it feels evil. It feels dark. And so I, I begin to say like, yeah, you have a personal, we are all accountable at some level to the things that we post on social media, the ways that we, we behave in the world. We are accountable for those things. And sure, there are systems behind it that perpetuate it that have, I mean, you know, there's lots of fake news that taints the water that some of uh, these people drink and are impacted by. But at the end of the day, you still uh, had, a, as Rajiv was talking about earlier, a calculated response. You chose to make those choices. Well, and I think that's a great, an extreme example, Jeff, but a, a very important point that you draw forward. So there's, I've got a few layers, I think, in response. One is we're always accountable for our actions, period. We always have a choice. Sometimes the choices available to us are one or the other, and they're both awful. You know, we'd never want to be in those circumstances, but you always have a choice. Second is where it becomes a little tricky is this idea of unnecessary what broader society might say now as a progressive, I would say, you know, the kind of speech Casey referred to outside of abortion clinics or, you know, around homosexuality, around biblical literacy, those are those are things that are unnecessary. But there was a time, there was a time when I thought pro-life was probably the way to go. Uh, there was a time where I was pretty sure that God loved gay people but didn't approve the the lifestyle, quote unquote. You know, and it's painful to remember those perspectives, and it's painful to remember kind of advocating for those perspectives. But the way I was formed, those things to me were necessary. They were life and death matters. But it doesn't take away the fact that I chose to engage the way I did and have, you know, carried some baggage and regret over those things. And in in the cases where I've remembered some stuff and and I'm in relationship with folks, I've apologized. I my my guess is all of us having journeyed through fundamentalism have taught things we regret that we at that time thought were necessary and now recognize are completely unnecessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think that ignorance is a heavy part of evil. Our definition of evil. I'm I'm not convinced that even using that term is helpful because that if you name something evil, are you really naming it or are you just creating a further binary, like being more specific in our naming of what that evil is, is probably more helpful than just a blanket term of evil. That's right. You can't, you can't, you can't cure someone of just cancer. Right. I mean, there are specific cancers in which uh, the way in which you confront them, the way you, you know, you combat them are dealt with based upon uh, what we know about that specific cancer. It's the same idea. Right. And that requires knowledge. Right. It requires Education. research. It requires development. It requires process. And I think that that's kind of the key in the midst of all of this when we talk about evil is that we're, we're such, we're in a binary culture. Like, despite our movement forward and prog- progress in a lot of ways, maybe we're not a binary culture, but we're, we're a culture full of binary language 
that is perpetuated by our institutions, our government institutions, our media institutions. And I think this is kind of a, a run theme throughout all of our conversations as we get to this place of we need more nuanced language when we talk about these particular things. Because it's easy. Like, we want a bad guy. We want an, an evil person. We want to because then that helps us put the blame. And I think that the less nuanced we are with our definitions of what an evil is, the more blame culture we have surrounded around it. And maybe that's the real evil is the separation of people and ideas and the placement of people into categories. Yeah. Moving from a blame culture to an accountability culture is, is a difficult, a difficult process. You mean boys can't just be boys. <laughs> right. It feels impossible some days if I'm honest. <laughs> what, right. What do you mean? Like moving into an accountability culture. I just feel like some days I just, I just sigh and I'm tired. Well, you know, I think we, you know, we, we start with ourselves and, and the people we're in relationship with and then hope that somehow that, that ripples, that ripples out. But it's, it's survival is, is a hard thing. Yeah. You know, just making it through the day is, is a hard thing in some cases. And it doesn't matter what kind of house you have, what kind of car you drive. There are all kinds of things going on internally that happen in our formations that, can be hard to overcome. So recognizing all that, I think holding on, you know, doing the best you can in, in every moment with, with what you have and, and the, the Maya Angelou saying, when you know better, do better, you know, living into that is, is important. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to solve it for the entire world, but maybe that's not our, maybe that's not our job. They're calling God. I mean, Rajiv. <laughs> oh, that was, that weird. was weird. <laughs> that was super weird. <laughs> I was just going to say something sarcastic yeah. about the light of the world. And apparently I associate Rajiv with God and that just got. <laughs> it, it's me in the hoodie. I got the whole uh, <laughs> the Jedi master vibe going this morning. That's right. uh, it's true. It's true. You are the Jedi master of Iranicast, Rajiv. Oh God, that's so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Only Actually, only until Bonnie gets back, and then you can you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's great. No, that, those are. I mean, but I kind of looping back to that, Jeff. That's that's a really important question. Spending time with it, I think, is the important work. Having an investment in a particular outcome for anyone other than yourself is setting yourself up for disappointment. But putting the investment into thinking about these things deeply, like how you're going to move into the in the world, how you're going to relate to the people that you see today, um, tomorrow, next week, and and putting into practice some things that will help, I guess, diminish and dissolve evil versus feeding it. And I think conf confronting. I, I mean, and by that, Rajiv, I don't mean like um, showing up at a white nationalist rally and, and being the Come only on, there. dude. Come on, let's go. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's it could be very dangerous. And in some ways, I feel like I experience that all the time in the community I serve. Yeah. Even last week, uh, yeah, I had a mom blow me up on Facebook. Look, the, the best part was she said, there was a pastor in quotes. I love that. And I thought, girl, I have more education than your pastor. I guarantee it. But that's fine. Um, so for me, the thing is like, when I, in the places that people told me were evil, when I showed up there, um, oftentimes 
my experience of those places was different than what I had been told, right? Um, and it gave me profound insight as to what I was actually dealing with. And I think that that's one of the other, the other things that we fail to do is do our own research. I mean, we come to all sorts of things, including scripture, with just trusting somebody else's opinion of those things. And forming an opinion about what we actually understand as evil or why that idea is being perpetuated, the best thing to do is to do your own, your own work, to show up and confront it where you can, but also understand why it is uh, being perpetuated the way it is. Because oftentimes that's when you begin to see the larger picture, right? The, the, where the real evil resides. It's not in the people. It's, they're just perpetuating a message that has been given to them from some, some place. So, but, but then where, where does that come from? Is it the devil? (laughs) (laughs) So this is what, so, um, (laughs) The answer is yes, uh, oh. but the but but the devil but the devil. Uh, this is all fun, but but I mean, but for me, it's a it, it starts with you know like capitalism. I think in a lot of ways. So capitalism's the devil or a devil? Yes, a devil, a devil for sure. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. So wow. So in our past Halloween episodes, we've discussed the supernatural and we discuss like literally the devil. And I, you could probably all guess that I don't believe in the supernatural or the devil. Really? I'm shocked, Jeff. Right. I almost (laughs) fell out of my chair. This is, this is profound. This needs to be, you know, everywhere, social media. (laughs) So then obviously when I think of evil, I'm not going to think of it in terms of, spirituality i'm thinking in terms of real life examples so when we throw around words like devil and demon and maybe it's just triggering for me maybe i'm i'm just waiting for someone to cast something out of me uh but we keep trying (laughs) i think everyone is to a certain extent so i guess i'm curious this is this is total side note but you know what whatever we can do whatever the hell we want uh where where are when you talk about evil do you do you consider that there is a spirit a supernatural aspect to it or do you are you using those terms of devil and demon in terms of something that is intangible like systems and ideas like how, where are you two in the, in in that realm so th- th- this is yeah i've got a couple of uh, related thoughts here so hang, hang with me for a minute so capitalism i think capitalism isn't inherently anything it, it's just an economic structure it's what we bring to it so in capitalism, where evil begins to take root is when greed rules the day. Greed and, and excess rules the day. And and we've gotten there in the United States. Whereas capitalism Well, we've been there. We've been yeah, there. Absolutely. But capitalism in in some contexts, like you you roll back the clock in the United States or you look at other emerging economies and where villages and regions they sort of work together. You know, lots of small business ownership. People partner up. They sort of decide, you know what, we're going to provide this service and we all use it. We're going to provide this service. We all use it. And so the, the underpinnings is capitalism, but the, the social ties are really about communalism. They're working together to, to make things work for the entire society. But then if you get one or two people that decide greed and excess are going to rule the day, that throws the whole thing out of whack. So the structure itself may not be the problem. But but it's it's the motivating factors behind it. And then to talk about the spiritual element, we we've had that process theology 
episode and and creativity being the most powerful force creativity has no moral compass it just wants to do something novel and sometimes that's blowing shit up sometimes that's assembling pieces to make a beautiful mosaic it's just creating and and we as people and and i believe other things that have life make choices you know a series of ongoing choices that decide to harness creativity or or move creativity towards beauty and wholeness and sustenance. So creativity, again, is neutral, but it is sort of the divine supreme force. And then the way we relate to and relate with creativity either harms or creates beauty, and sometimes it's a little bit of both. So do you believe in the devil? <laughs> you know, I didn't, but I, I used to think the devil was red. Now I'm pretty sure the devil's orange. So oh. you knew that joke was going to be in here I somewhere. I, that was I not pre-planned. That was, that was in the moment. Oh, my God. I love it. So when you talk about uh, Rajiv, when you talk about the creativity, you would say that creativity that that's what you equate the supernatural with and that the supernatural itself has no moral compass. It is only guided by whatever people choose to do with that. So I, I would say in, this is my perspective now is um, like, right. This is all of yeah. our perspectives. Like we're, and, and it comes, it's informed by a process framework, but creativity is the ultimate force in the universe, the ultimate force in the universe. Okay, and by force, though, would you describe that as what most people would associate with the supernatural? No, I would say that's more in a scientific understanding. You know, it's there. Okay. I, how it got there, I, you know, those questions remain. And I think scientists are doing a fucking incredible job trying to find answers to that. Where the divine element comes in is in response. So the God element or the God influence comes in response to creativity that's whispering to us, that's luring us to use a process term, saying, hey, do something beautiful, do something beneficial for your fellow human beings with this. Uh, okay, so there is, is there an opposite lure? Like you, so you're saying that there's creativity and that there, there's God is luring you to do something with this, this force that's out there. And you say God is that lure to do something good. Is there a, a contrary lure? I don't think there's a contrary lure. I think just all the possibilities are out there. And then our formations start. And that God is just guiding us towards the most beneficial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And but there's nothing guiding us towards the least beneficial. I think it, it, that's. Yeah. This, the sinister element in, in creativity, I think that's just us. That's so we're somewhere the along the line. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the Rolling Stones said it. You know, after all, it's you and me. The Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you're you're showing our age Great here. Like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Casey. What about what about you? Like where 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 does that where where's your idea of the super? Is there a supernatural evil? No, I don't think there's a supernatural evil. As Rajiv was saying, it's just you and me, baby. That's it. You know, I mean, we we come to these things. All options are available, and we we are we are definitely influenced by all the input and output, right? The things that are being handed to us, we have choices to address those things or not. But I would not say that uh, there's some spiritual evil force out there waiting to prey on us. 
I, I, but there is a spiritual force luring us into something better. Yeah, I, I would say that. This, this is interesting. I like these are the conversations I like to have where they're a little open ended and they're just kind of like let's explore and let's play devil's advocate. No pun intended, or I guess pun intended. I don't know if I intended that pun or not. Like really looking at these issues in a, in a way that that explores our own theology. And I know that process theology. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be in every episode going forward. Just though the response that we're getting and how people are talking about this particular thing. Because I do. I think it's a good way to define a feeling that many of us coming from fundamentalist backgrounds had that couldn't put words to it. And I think that part of that process theology helps it. And it's obviously already influencing the very next episode and the very next conversation that we have now that we've put it out there. And I think that it requires more conversations like this where we can explore and ask and, you know, determine, you know, where is evil coming from? Because I don't know, like to answer my own question is I don't know. I'm not even convinced or sure about God? Do I, do I believe in God? Yeah. Do I believe in God? I don't know. Do I believe in God? No. Like, I feel like I'm all of those things at once when I have conversations like these, I, I kind of like it, you know, cause I feel like going back to what we were talking about, this idea of, of ignorance and finding knowledge is I think that's too many times we put the quest for knowledge above the actual knowledge because there's an excitement of learning something new, but there's an even more excitement of settling into that newness and then wanting to hold on to it because we like the feeling attached to it. And I think that as we're going through this, one of the things that's been most comforting for me moving out of a fundamentalist background is a, my, my definition of judgment, right? Judgment was such a bad thing for such a long time. It was God's judgment. It was this like you, someone saying you are right or wrong and my new definition based off of, you know, things that based on my own biblical research and kind of where it was, is that the intention of what judgment has been the whole time is not a telling you what's right or wrong. It's a revealing. It's a revealing of, look, there's something new. It, and that's to me a very freeing idea of judgment. So how do I judge a situation as I reveal as much as possible? Yeah, it's like, so I go through. That, that reminds me of learning. <laughs> this is not where you're going, Jeff, but it's funny where, um, that I remember being taught that essentially judgment day, you'll be standing there in front of the, the throne the, and, and the whole heavenly host is back there and a video, a movie of your life plays. Uh, you know, I remember that. Everything analogy. you've ever done. It's the revealing. I was like, oh my God, I'm screwed. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> I, I would rather go to hell than have that movie played <laughs> for everybody. Uh, but at the same time, like why, why was that such a horrifying idea is because we were taught to have shame. Right. Right. Now right. I feel like I don't feel the same way because of all, I guess all the shame that I still hold. I almost wish that there was a day where my whole life was on the screen because then I feel like there'd be a, a relief, a freedom for once. I think it's the implication of what happens after they show that video is that then you'll be cast sure. out into hell. But I, I wish that was the case. Because then I feel like, oh, it's out there. I don't have to hide anymore. So, like, I don't have to, to hold on to that stuff. So uh, this is kind of making me, like, um, sort of emotional uh, hearing you guys talk about that. Because I also was given those narratives, but never thought twice about it for some reason until this moment. And Jeff, you saying, you know, 
I almost wish that the video would be played because then, you know, it would be out there. And I wonder if the hosts of heaven would surround you and say, us too, right? I mean, I think right. that that's, that's the power of vulnerability and authenticity is what what we long for is connection and truth about our lives. And the thing that holds us back from that most often is shame. Right. Because the central focus of that narrative or that analogy is not the movie being played. It's that how you would be treated after. That's right. Is that it was, it was put on us as a way to perpetuate that shame. But what if it was put, like you were saying, Casey, put on us in that sense of, Imagine you, you know, I'm going youth pastor mode right, right now, right. altar call youth pastor mode, but imagine that tomorrow you die <laughs> in a car wreck and you're standing before God and God shows this movie of all the horrible things you've done. And then the next inevitable step was always, so make sure it's right because you don't want to go to hell. But what if it was, despite all the things that people are going to see? Well done. Right. Well done. Exactly. What if that was the context of that? How much more freeing would that be as that, that revealing is a positive thing, right? Because revealing in a lot of contexts is not a positive thing. It's not a place of healing. It's a place of shame. It's a place of punishment. It is. So maybe evil is a, a concealing more than anything else, a, a concealing of, of, of your value. I, I think, I think the, <laughs> this is a little tricky. I'm going to sound like the crotchety old man that I am. But, you know, I think we've all done stuff that wasn't right. I, I, I think the difference is there are things that we were told weren't right by our fundamentalist upbringing that are just fine. And then there's other things that are just, they're, they're downright not right. They're, you know, they're, they're, it, you know, they're universally kind of not cool. So I'm not sure all of that would get celebrated, at least in my movie. I think the host. But would you still get celebrated? Like, I don't, oh, I don't think a it's a celebration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's what sure. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. is that your acknowledgement absolutely. as a person. Absolutely. You know, a- affirmation of, of a person's life, I think is absolutely. Yeah. We are the, we are not the sum of our mistakes or the yeah. things that we've done badly. Right. And I think that that, I mean, that's why our whole conversation shifted away from identifying or classifying anybody as evil. We can identify their actions as evil, their behaviors as awful, but but at the end of the day, you know, we are not the sum of of our of of the worst choices we've made. Amen. Absolutely. I feel like I should give the link to our podcast to my therapist so they can do some homework before they get started. <laughs> you know, I feel like we we have these Look, conversations have, that we. Re- I have given my podcast to my therapist. Oh. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, I don't want to tell that story again here. Listen to this episode. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's just, just do your homework. Like what, I pay what, you. What you, what you talked about, Jeff, with the, uh, you know, all at once, like I sort of believe and eh, not really, I, I don't, I don't believe all in the same moment, man, I can relate to that so much. And, and for me having kind of come back to some sort of a formalized faith, um, and 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 found really a new home in progressive Christianity versus even a reconstructing of the old. It's it's a pretty brand new dynamic. I have belief, but I no longer have certainty. Nor do I feel like certainty is something that's part of a faith journey. Yeah, I right. Jeff. When you were talking, I actually wrote the word humility down. Um, because I think that it's so important that we come to all of this slightly, 
And I think it's uh, for the exact reasons why many of us left conservative Christianity, because the moment we thought we could grab onto it, it flew out of our hands and oftentimes hit us right in the fucking face. And so holding these things gently, belief, non-belief, all of it, I think is there's a sense of wonder and humility that that is worth venturing and venturing it. Right. 150%. And I feel like it, it comes down to what is your response to the fact that you are a blip in the universe, right? So in a conservative circle, I remember when they said, you know, the earth is this tiny and they'd use this as an example, basically to inflate God's worth and deflate your worth, right? You're insignificant, but God still loves you. And then, then we will look at that and be like, you're, you're, despite how small we are or insignificant we are in the universe, that that should give us pause as far as like how, not how small we are, but how we're a part of something bigger. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe the answer to evil is that size does matter. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's put that on the shirt right there. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, that's a good title. The problem of evil. Size does matter. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 154. And also on the show notes, you'll find links to all the things that we talked about and how you can like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 154. On the other side of the music, we're going to be playing a, a game that we played once before called Irenacasting. And find out what that is on the other side of the music. So I rent a casting. This is how this works. Uh, way back, I don't even remember what episode, but I'll put it in the show notes if anyone's curious to listen. We thought it would be fun to cast, I rent a cast the movie. And uh, we, myself and Alan and Mona at the time, we decided to choose who would play us in a movie. So what we're going to do for this session of I rent a casting is we're going to reverse it. We've each chosen a movie. Uh, evil horror themed type movie to which we are going to cast ourselves into these movies over. And we're including Bonnie and Alan who are on assignment this week and they have no say in it. So we are determining their casting. We are their casting agents. They're going to get the part that we tell them to. <laughs> so that's how we're going to do this. Uh, so is that we're all, all on board with this? We're, we're good. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is great. Based on our conversation, you know, I knew this was the the segment we were going to do and we were, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I think, Jeff, you were like, Bob the Demon. And like right away in my head, I was like, that would be an amazing streaming show. Bob the Demon. Here's this demon who's like doesn't really want to be bad and is trying to figure out how to not be bad and still meet his quota. I mean, I know it's a little good omens-y, but um, I don't know. Bob the Demon just seems like a great character for i feel like it could be like a, a horror movie that's an allegory for white supremacy right oh dang yeah that would be great that'd be great
Yeah, and if this movie ever gets made, we need, you know, some sort of a time and date stamp on this this concept so we, we can have sue it. for just the very fact that this episode is going to be posted on iTunes. There's a date and time. Yeah. This is yeah, enough yeah. copyright for us. So anyone out there cuz you know people like all these Hollywood people listen to our show. So, of course, one of them is going to be right. like I say we write it and we sell it to Jordan Peele right up his alley. Ooh. It would be the best movie ever. Yeah. Yeah, that would be amazing. Oh, or we do a collaboration. Get Jordan Peele and Stephen King in the room. They they do this together. That would be an interesting mix. I feel like Stephen Uh-oh. King could learn a lot from Jordan Peele. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So let's let's do this, uh, Casey. Let's start with with your your movie. What are we What are we casting? We're recasting. We are recasting Stranger Things, and uh, but really, it's more like I the I picked these uh, these cast members specifically for the way in which we all work together. Does that make sense? Yes. So, all right. So you went with the team dynamic. I like it. That's right. That's right. So, um, so of course, our beloved Bonnie would be eleven. Because she is the badass amongst us and is constantly, uh, you know, kicking ass. And I think we all rally around her because we trust that she knows the way, actually. I chose uh, Dustin um, as Alan. (laughs) Um, Mostly because uh, Dustin is kind of... um, seems to be a little girl. When, When everybody thought he had this phantom girlfriend. Right, that's right, that's right. That's right. Okay. I don't know if, if I'm not going to do any spoilers, but there's a moment in season three where the, the there's a reveal to that thread that to me was like the first time that I can remember like audibly and like visually like just cheering something as I was watching it. <laughs> it was yes. so amazing to me, that part of the, the show. Anyway, sorry. Alan is definitely the romantic amongst us. And so I definitely, I definitely see him as that character. Uh, Rajiv, I chose you to be Chief Hopper uh, because, <laughs> of course, uh, of course, uh, because again, you're you're always showing up, and uh, but there are these moments where he he's like uh, he's just trying to be the best adult dad he can be. You know, when um, I don't know if you saw in season three. Have you seen season three? Okay. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen okay. them all. But his uh, deep care for Eleven and his struggle to try to keep her safe, I just see a lot of that in you. And your care for us and your care for your boys. So, Jeff, you are Joyce, who is always trying to decode, you know, what the hell is going on uh, and keep us all together in terms of like... That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, right? I. I yeah. I have this image of Jeff like with the lights on the wall trying to, you know... That's that's probably what his uh, his computer looks like as he's editing each week. <laughs> Where the hell does all of this go? I edit via Christmas lights. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, and and Jeff finally accepts a date from me to an Italian place, and then it doesn't materialize. Right, that's right, because so sad. <laughs> so I like the scenario, Rashid. In, in this scenario, you and I, you know, we got we got something going. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yesterday was national coming out day, so there you go. I appreciate the gender um, swap casting, by the way. I'm glad that we're we're advanced totally. in that direction that we can do it. 
We got to watch out for those fanboys, though. They might get upset that we've uh, recast their beloved character into a male. <laughs> That's right. True. That's True. Right. Um, I, I honestly am unsure of where I fit into the story. Maybe that's true about what we're doing together as well, but maybe, I don't know if I can cast myself. Um, so then maybe we should cast you. Dude, aren't, aren't you, you're Mike, right? I'm Mike. I Wouldn't agree. you be Mike? You're the, you're like the, okay. the, 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 the heart, the conscience of the group, the one that, that, yeah, that motivates that that gets people going. You just think L is all that, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess I would be Mike. Yeah, <laughs> Where, wherever L is, that's where I want to be. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's my uh, my my casting. Interesting. I would say that's pretty good. That's fantastic. I like it. Nice. All right, Rajiv. What is your Okay, I went with an old classic, not really in the horror genre, but one that's beloved by all. Uh, the Goonies. Hey, you guys. <laughs> and this was a little tricky. And I, I unfortunately did not mess with gender on, on this one. Although, in retrospect, I probably should have. But anyway, here's, here's, how we, uh, here's how I cast it. So, Alan is Mikey Walsh, played by Sean Astin. Hundred percent, like hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. And uh, Jeff, you are Mikey's brother, Brand Walsh, played by Josh Brolin. Um, had Bonnie as Andy, played by Carrie Green, because you know, kind of that eighties look translated. If you see her pictures from the eighties, it's like it's right in there with the hair and everything. Uh, Casey, uh, you ended up being Data. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, Ki Hai Kwan, but sort of this person who's there paying attention and then kind of out of nowhere stitches stuff together and go, this is how this can work. We're like, what? What the? Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I cast myself as as the Corey Feldman character, Mouth. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Just because he's a train wreck, you know. Is he with that or the monster in the cave? So. <laughs> oh, Rajiv. You're definitely not the monster in the cave. <laughs> no, he turns out to be a great oh, guy. Yeah. Sloth, he's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Sloth is awesome. But we don't have we don't have an exaggerator in the group, so there was no one no one that could fulfill the, the chunk. I went back and forth with chunk. It's not fitting like for any of us, time. I don't think. Well, I almost went I mean, there's a side of Bonnie that you all don't oh. see very often that's very chunk like. <laughs> Maybe we should clarify um, that that was what, my one. For those of you that are listening, <laughs> we are not body shaming Rajiv's wife. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> clarify what chunk like there's means. There's a, a character. In, there's a character in the Goonies named Chunk, and he's always um, running off at the mouth about some crazy ideas. And, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's much better. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, but there's some truth to that. <laughs> oh, all right. We should have a recorder on hand for when uh, get Bonnie's reaction when she hears this. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. <laughs> yeah, she'll come. She'll come. I'm sure she'll serve something back. But yeah, that that was my movie, uh, and those were my. That's my casting. All right, all right. So I'm I, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I normally don't. I'm normally a stickler for the rules of these segments, but I just I can't. Yeah. Know. Right. 
<laughs> you hate rules. Okay. Yeah, it's true. I but I don't hate the rules that I make up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so you yeah. so I'm a hypocrite. Um, hmm, who do, who does that remind me of? Hmm. <laughs> it's evil. Uh, okay, I've I've created a scenario. Where we, you know, we have a lot of crossover movies, right? We have the Avengers, where all these different heroes they come together and they form a, a team, the Justice League. Uh, so I figured in this hypothetical scenario, there is a new movie, and it's a crossover of all the villains, horror movies, villains of all c- kinds. And I tried to think in terms of each of you and which villain across the vast place of villains each one of you would be. Um, so I went with the the model of opposites, right? That took your inherent nature as as i see you as people and where that would go how that would take you if you took a different path if instead of listening to the luring of god you went with your own way and what expressions were there so so i'm gonna start with alan i'm gonna start with the people that aren't here uh alan would be lex luther alan ah. is extremely <laughs> intelligent he has yeah. he just knows yeah. things he can cite things but given another central motivation i think he would take that intelligence towards wanting to make the better place but that would it would cast him into a place of wanting to make the world a better place in his image luther so alan is is lex luther in this crossover casey i feel like your driving motivation for people is is compassion is wanting to see people in a place of health and beauty and wonder so I'm casting you as Thanos because oh, Thanos' right. central motivation is that he wants to make the world a better, more livable place for people. And instead of, you know, doubling the resources, he'll just kill half the people. <laughs> Whereas Casey, now, if you had the power of Thanos, I feel like you go the other direction. You would you would just double the resources and no one would die. Uh, so Bonnie has this power to her that – uh that she sometimes can maybe from my perspective, hide under a bushel basket, you know, there's, there's this humility about her. So I'm casting her as Maleficent where she has this power and she's going to be bold and brazen with that power and, and just express it to the world. And if she, if need be, you know, take a few people out, you know, poison a couple princesses, whatever she needs to do (laughs) to get, to get her. Um, for for me i'm i'm always interested in the the psychology of people like i like the, just, i think this episode like i have questions i just want to find out where people are coming from what what forms them and uh maybe taking that a different direction perhaps i would invade people's dreams and slice them with my clawed hand in those dreams and so i'm going to go with freddy krueger as myself um <laughs> and rajiv this is the one i had the hardest time with because i feel like yeah, I'm worried because I'm laughing. Here, so, <laughs> yeah. so I feel like you have this this like sense of uh, I don't I don't say order is the right word, but uh, as a, as a talented administrator, you you thoughtfully consider things, you thoughtfully put things out there into the world, and I think that you're you're planning. And, and looking at a, a, the big picture, the overall organization of something um, to create some sort of order in people's lives so they can have comfort. Uh, this is just my expression with you in the thing. And I think that your opposite expression with the, of that would be to take that knowledge of the bigger picture and 
instead of creating order and peace, you would create chaos. So I'm putting you in the Dark Knight version of the Joker. Yes. <laughs> that's my favorite villain of all yes. time. Oh, my God. Thanks, Jeff. That's like the greatest compliment Not, not the ever. current Joker. I don't know if anyone's seen the current Joker, but not the current Joker. The current no, Joker. I haven't you yet. Should. You the Joaquin totally Phoenix should. Joker. Is it it's good? It's really good. I didn't like it. <laughs> we I could have a different that. review Ooh, there, like but. It. Okay. But The Dark Knight's like one of my all-time favorite yeah. movies, period. Me too. Yeah. So, yeah. that's. I was like, like oh, my God, what's he going to say? And then you started going down that path. I was like, the Joker? Is it going to be a Joker from the Dark Knight? <laughs> so sure that's enough. how I cool. see each of you as villains. And that's my reasoning behind it. That was a huge over-explanation, but I couldn't help it. I had to share my thought process. That was, that was so good. fun. Yeah, that was cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, I bet Alan and Bonnie, when they hear this, they're going to be like, hmm, we really missed out. They, they would. Maybe, maybe, you know, we'll throw on a... Maybe maybe there'll be a chime after this port that says, hey, future Bonnie and Alan here. Here's what we think about this right. <laughs> particular. Uh, the moment will right, be gone. Right. All right. Well, then that will that'll do it for this this week. Uh, that was a fun segment. I enjoyed that. If you found value in the show and would like to support us, check out irenacast.com slash support. Uh, there you'll find all the ways you can support the show, including a PayPal link, uh, Amazon link, and checking out our iRanCast merch. Uh, so keep checking that show or follow us on Facebook to find out when new shirts come to the forefront. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.